Okay, welcome to the Six of Pentacles or Discs, the Lord of Success or Material Success. They're really uh, intent on making sure we get the material thing, yeah, right? Right, right? So it's five is material trouble, six is material success, and then the seven, it's like success unfulfilled, but they might as well call it like material, material failure or right? something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Real emphasis on the material, because it's Taurus, fixed Earth. And in the story of the World or Universe card, we are talking about the negotiations between the material world and the divine, the journey of the maiden from the world of Malkut back to meet with Tiferet, or the journey of the daughter. In Capricorn, we dealt with the allures and temptations and ambitions of the material world. In Taurus, we've been talking about bridging the worlds, and in Virgo, we'll talk about the legacy that the world leaves behind. In the five, we talked about the inadequacies of the material world, how we deal with that. And in the six, now we're going to talk about how purpose grants meaning and symmetry and balance to the material world. And then in the seven, we'll be looking again at another form of imbalance and the need for faith in the unseen in a material world and facing the challenges that may come up. For a moment, though, we get to relax <laughs> or revel in the success, the literal success of our material endeavors. It's interesting that it, they call it success or material success, because as always, we try to look past the word itself to the bigger meanings that go with it. And this is one of those sexy six cards. If the sexy six of cups was pleasure, the sexy six of pentacles or discs has to do with fertility. Um, so, you know, sex for fun and profit. <laughs> so I don't know, there's like sex for recreation and sex for procreation. And this would be the sex for procreation side of it, I guess. This card and then the next card just made me think of something funny while you were talking about <laughs> sex and success. And that's uh, the one of the things that escaped the censors back in the day was on the Three Stooges where one of the Stooges says, if at first you don't succeed, just keep sucking till you do succeed. <laughs> Those guys were great. <laughs> yeah, they got away with it. There's something about this card that the drives of the bull are here in evidence. And the bull is doing great. The bull is in fine fettle. Mm -hmm. The harvest is in. The harvest is in. Well, in May, not really. <laughs> yeah. But then but I mean, on the other side of the Symbolically, world, anyway, you yeah. get this moment of uh, abundance or glorious success. <laughs> and in the Southern Hemisphere, it is harvest time, actually. Yeah, so, so that's interesting. Yeah. The moon, of course, is uh, exalted in three degrees of Taurus, so really the last uh, decan, but it, we but use... in the sign. Yeah, we use exaltation throughout the sign, so, uh, so it's doing beautifully in here. Yeah, maybe what we can talk about a little bit is the ability of the moon to help level out those fluctuations of fortune that we see in the five and the seven, mm -hmm. you know, because the moon is resilient, it waxes and wanes. And one of the sort of significations of the moon generally is luck, mm -hmm. you know, which we really see in this card, I think, more than maybe any other, really. Yeah, there's definitely luck here. There's some something too about, it's interesting to me that the moon is exalted in Taurus, just because they seem 
kind of very different, don't they? You know, like yeah. Taurus is very steady and steadfast and solid and, and all about stability. Whereas mm-hmm. the moon is the opposite of that. It's it's about fluctuation and, and flexibility. So it's like dynamic stability. Yeah. Which is a strange concept. Yeah, and there's that idea of the moon and cows in general being associated or bovines, you know, with the bull horns of Isis mm-hmm. or the cow horns of Isis mm-hmm. on her crown. And yeah, both Osiris and Isis were associated with a bull and a cow, actually. Yeah. So there's this idea of the of these creatures as being the source of all life, you know, maternal in a way. So that's lunar, too. There's something about the bull specifically that is very, very lunar. The other moon cards are interesting to consider. So here we have moon in Taurus, six of discs, success. Then we have moon in Cancer, four of cups, luxury. Uh, moon in Libra, two of swords, peace. Moon in Sagittarius, nine of wands, strength. And then moon in Aquarius, seven of swords, futility. What we're seeing in success, luxury, peace, strength, and futility <laughs> is the resilience and flexibility of the moon sort of inflecting through these different forms. And in yeah, air, the moon has a lot to do with transformation too. Yeah. With all its different phases. So that's interesting. Yeah. And as a, we also can consider it as a um, reflector of the sun uh, and also as a magical mm-hmm. body that mediates our experience from the other planets. It is the closest body to us. It's interesting that the moon is has two air cards. It has the two of swords and the seven of swords. So it allows you to think of the moon as an ability to reflect another's point of view in the two of swords, but then sort of a divided attention in the seven of swords. We see shifts in perspective. We see flexibility. We see uh, growth. We see resilience and I guess you would say that maybe in the six of pentacles and the four of cups and the nine of wands, you know, success, luxury, and strength, we see the moon almost like a benefic, you know, reflecting the sun in a productive and mm-hmm. um, and benefic kind of way. We're in the heart of Taurus, the center of the suit. and Right, so it's strongest expression. Yeah. As you said, also, there's that... Uh, the the general sort of grand central qualities of sixes in general. Yeah, all the yeah. paths and other Sephiroth kind of feed into it. Uh, you know, throughout Taurus, there's the awareness that change is inevitable, you know, with, with the card of worry and failure to <laughs> either side of the card of success. This card is a guiding light for Taurus. This is what it's aiming yeah. for. Yeah, that whole, you know, axiom Crowley mentions a lot about change and stability also really can apply to this card, you know, the stability of Taurus with the the changeable nature of the moon being a strength. Yeah. Hey, speaking and- of change and magic and uh, and Taurus, this is totally irrelevant, but I think it's funny. Um, <laughs> the comedian Mitch Hedberg has a routine where he uh, he sits next to a guy at a deli counter or whatever and he said the guy's wearing a leather jacket and a leather belt and leather shoes and he's eating a hamburger and he's drinking a glass of milk and he sits down next to him and says keep going dude the transformation is almost complete <laughs> that 
That's awesome. I love him. He's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that was... (laughs) Sorry. That's cool. That's really Getting punchy, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) I guess so. So, you know, I think with Taurus, we have these agricultural metaphors where the planting of the earth, which takes place in Taurus, requires steady effort. Mm -hmm. You know, it requires being willing. And a bit of luck. And a bit of luck. And a bit of luck as well. We're at a time when the days are getting longer, but you need to work every minute of them to ensure the harvest six months from now will be mm-hmm. okay. So that we have the steadiness of the bull fecundating the earth. Would that be the back end? <laughs> that would be the back end. Yeah, this is all about the back end of the bull now. <laughs> so, you know, we've talked about the aggressive, you know, horns of the bull, his um, properties of strength and stubbornness. But here we talk about his drives, <laughs> yep. his need to procreate, his need to, to fertilize the earth. Yeah, fertilization is a good keyword for this card. Yeah, definitely. And in fact, you know, you you can hardly do better than planting in a moon in Taurus. So the time of year for us is that first 10 days of May or so, something like that, including the holiday of Beltane, mm-hmm. the cross-quarter holiday. May Day. May Day, the sexiest of all possible holidays. Yes. Worshipping a phallic symbol, the maypole, as the focal point (laughs) of the celebration, literally. Yeah. Another fire festival, as they all are, but this one also involves fucking. Can I say that? (laughs) Uh, Yes. It's the let's go decorate a phallus day. (laughs) (laughs) The beribboned rod. Yeah, it's like the Scotsman when he wakes up and finds the blue ribbon <laughs> under his kilt. <laughs> I don't know about that. Oh, it's a song and it goes on and on. But the guy gets drunk and falls asleep, and when he wakes up, he's got a blue ribbon tied around his. <laughs> anyway, it's pretty funny, so you should look it yeah, up. Yeah, I'll definitely be looking that up. <laughs> he I says, definitely... "I don't know where you've been, laddie, but I see you won first prize." <laughs> Well, we know what y'all doing now. You can pause and come back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Beltane is like, there's so many things going on in that holiday. It's a really interesting one. Um, I mean, like, like all holidays, uh, sort of liminal holidays, there's this placating the fairies kind of thing going on or the she, I guess. Uh, like all pagan holidays, there's fires. These are fires lit by friction. Yes. <laughs> All about fecundity. <laughs> and uh, and like uh, like other festivals, you bring the fire lit by friction back to your hearth to restart your own hearth fires. That's a, supposed to be a tradition. There's also the Beltane bannock. Uh, there's like a cake that you bake in the fires. It's probably pretty nasty, but everybody gets some, and that's supposed to protect the herd. So these are not just agricultural holidays, but herding holidays. They're really about the, the cattle mm-hmm. and about the sheep and making sure that they are well taken care of and protected from harm. Mm. There's also the um, tradition of the may bush or the may tree. (laughs) That was also a way of protecting the herd. They would decorate the, like a hawthorn bush or or some kind of tree outside your house um, in an effort 
to gain the favor of the spirit within it. I guess. And that's really interesting because I, you know, I was thinking about this later that the, the, the term to ferret, which means beauty, it's, I think it means adornment. Uh, yeah, also. yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. <clears throat> yeah. That's right. Right. I think, I think, I think so. Yeah. I think I've seen that. That sounds really familiar. But there's, there's uh, definitely some kind of feeling that not only are we going to enjoy ourselves tremendously <laughs> and celebrate the pleasures of the flesh, but we're going to put a cherry on top. We're going to decorate <laughs> it. We're going to, you know, we're going to express our joy in the return of the light and the growth of the new crop any way we can. Uh, it's traditionally yellow flowers, I think, that you use to decorate. Because if you look around in spring, we've got daffodils, we've got forsythia, we've got, yep. you know, all sorts of yellow flowers that seem to be the first to come up. So that's yep. associated with Beltane. And then we have, showers bring May flowers. That's for sure. This is the time of year when it looks like the garden's going to be fine. <laughs> it's gonna be the best year ever i was thinking about how like that's in, what i always say every year <laughs> i know the five of this is like the mercury planning of the garden where you have this imaginary you know intellectual garden that looks great all the plans look fantastic and you think of all the things you're gonna do and in, in the six it actually looks like that's gonna happen and then you have the seven <laughs> <laughs> right when the squash bugs take over oh god yeah Oh God! I have garden and the PTSD. blight. The, the, yeah, the and tomatoes get the blight, and the squash gets the squash bug, and the hornworms, and the beetles, and the plagues, the woodchucks, and the locusts, yeah. <laughs> and the potato blight. Yep. Yeah. So this is really interesting combination of majors, isn't it? Mm. The high priestess they go together, and the hierophant. The natural yeah. pair, the, uh, the pope and the popes. <laughs> the uh, two between the pillars, both of them. Yeah, not to mention that, you know, her planet's exalted in his sign. Mm. But there's something really significant about these two being present, the high priestess. And sometimes the hierophant's called the high priest, even. Yep. I think that... One one really good way to conceptualize that is it's the esoteric and the exoteric uh, hand in hand. Uh, Another relationship you could consider is, you know, Taurus, the Hierophant, as Taurus being the body and the priestess as the moon being the soul. Yeah, she's body an anima figure, for yeah. sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah, so I was thinking about sort of like their relationship with what's hidden and what's not. I mean, she has her veil, she's got her scroll, and he's got the keys. So, you know, they've, they really mediate that relationship with the other realms in different ways. Uh, he's got a key, he wants to lead people through the door. There's always folks around. His impulse is to teach and share. Whereas hers is to introspect, to have a, solitary and secret relationship with her understanding of the divine. There's outer and inner mysteries going yeah, on here. Outer and inner wisdom. Or or yeah, like you said, esoteric or exoteric wisdom. Yeah, if like if you look at her pillars, she's got the pillars that are in Rider Wade Smith that are of opposite colors, whereas his are sort of grayed out for the masses. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's sort of the, yeah. the average taking the average or the mean so that yeah. everyone can understand it. There's also the like he unlocks the doors of the church where she's the veil that hides the Holy of Holies. Yeah. 
And she's also, you know, associated with the camel, which allows you to travel, you know, through that abyss, through the darkness, whereas he's associated with the the vav, the nail, which holds together the house that shelters you. You know, his is about the, the structure and the <clears throat> staying in place where she is the lunar traveler um, who takes you, allows you to travel from realm to realm. But in a sense, it's almost like, you know, I'm thinking of him as Taurus and her as the moon and her exaltation. You know, it's almost as if her spirit is the honored presence in, in the temple, in the church. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So what I have for the six at 15 degrees of Taurus. So in this Deccan, we have the uh, royal fixed star. Aldebaran. Aldebaran or Eldebaran. I never know where to put the syllable. <laughs> <laughs> He's the, <clears throat> the eye of the bull? Yes, the eye of the bull. Um, and Aldebaran means the follower, which is kind of appropriate. Uh, oh, yeah. In a couple of ways. So one, it's, it's kind of the, the bull constellation follows those star clusters, the Pleiades and the Hyades. But I also it also makes me think of the follower you know, we were talking about the plow, you know, where the the, the farmer follows the yeah. front half of the bull, you know. Yeah, and also followers as in the church. You yeah. Know? Yeah. 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 So that's that's an interesting um Or the flock, you know, yeah. again to continue the herding metaphors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Aldebaran, so it's the royal watcher of the East and it's the eye of the bull. One thing that I found that was interesting, so I've always been really fascinated with the fixed stars as used in astrology, and especially these watcher stars. But this one in particular is associated with the god Mithras, and it's really interesting in terms of thinking of one of Mithras's titles. Uh, Mithras was the slayer of the cosmic bull, and one of his titles was the Lord of Contracts. Huh. Which is so it was all about he he oversaw you know business exchanges and saw them as sacred. Uh, that seems really Taurian, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I thought that was spot on for um, the royal star of Taurus. Those royal stars in general are really interesting because if you have a royal star connected to your horoscope in some way, they bring some form of glory some form of renown or glory or uh, honors. Mm -hmm. um, but every one of them comes with a nemesis that has to be defeated in order for that glory to manifest or in order for that glory to not be spoiled. So they're a two-sided coin. So the way you work with these fixed stars is there's two different ways. So they have very small orbs. It's like a one-degree orb. And, you know, most people, when they think of, they're just going to look at, okay, what's the degree of the fixed star and what are the degrees of my planets and is there a match? But there's another way to work with the fixed stars that uh, Bernard that Brady uses, and that's star parents. If you think about the sun rising, the sun being at its zenith at noontime, the sun setting, the sun at midnight, and that cycle the sun is a star and the the fixed stars themselves also rise culminate set have a midnight and, sure. and rise again sure. so the way the star parents work which may not be obvious from looking at your astrological chart is that if you have a planet 
that is at one of those four points, rising, culminating, setting, or at the nadir, at the same time as a fixed star within one degree or less is at one of those points, mm-hmm. there then becomes a Parian's relationship between those two planets. Anyway, that's a little astrology 101. We won't go too far into that. But <laughs> but it's it's interesting in terms of this card just because this card in particular has a lot to do with the relationship of the sun. Just like the sun and moon have this Parian's type relationship, whereas depending on what the phase of the moon is, you know, at a full mm-hmm. moon, one will, they'll both be, mm-hmm. you know. It's like they're yoked uh, together. Yeah. yeah. When one rises, the other rises or sets or, mm-hmm. you know. Anyway, they have that kind of relationship. And this is about the sun and moon. But anyway, when you, one of your planets has a Parian's relationship with one of these fixed stars, then it really applies the meanings mm-hmm. of the stars to your chart. So anyway, these royal fixed stars, like I said, each one of them has a chance for honor and glory, but tied to that light side is a dark side or a nemesis that has to be overcome. So if it isn't overcome, either you won't get the honor and glory or it will be spoiled somehow after you get it, like you'll lose it or it'll be nullified. (laughs) So in the case of Aldebaran, the principle, the nemesis that you have to work with and overcome, and that's integrity. And that brings it back to Mithras as the Lord of... contracts and and business deals as being a sacred thing yeah so the nemesis for if you have aldebaran in your chart the fixed star you have the possibility for that honor and glory but only if you remain with complete integrity in your dealings so each one of these four stars so like regulus you will succeed and become famous but only if you or you so know, if you don't abuse. With, so with Regulus, mm-hmm. the one the, your, the nemesis of Regulus is revenge, avoiding revenge, oh, okay. um, yeah. not using your kingly power for the purpose of revenge, even if you are legitimately wronged. That's really interesting. Holding back from revenge is Regulus's yeah. nemesis. Do you so, happen to know the others? Yeah. So for um, Antares. Yeah. So for Antares, the nemesis is obsession and uh, seeking intensity, mm-hmm. uh, being obsessed with something, uh, taking it a little too far, and the you know then it needs to go. With all of them, the gift is some degree of renown or glory. I got you. Like that's yeah. pretty much a basic yeah. for a fixed star. Some degree of glory mm-hmm. or reward, you know. Um, mm-hmm. but the, the nemesis is different for each one. And Fomalhaut? Fomalhaut, the nemesis is purity of, I guess you'd call it purity of ideals and purity of intention and lust for fame. Oh, interesting. Well, that's good for me to know because I've got Fomalhaut on the ascendant. <laughs> um, no, it's not within a degree. It's like within three. Doesn't apply then, yeah. really. <laughs> so don't worry yeah. about it. <laughs> okay. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. maybe you should check your parents to see yeah. if you have it in, well, yeah. in relationship. You might have it in relationship. I might have it exactly. Just yeah, have, like, you, you have Virgo, so wait, no, I, you wait, might have an opposition. Is it a three? Because my son's at three. Uh, yeah, so it's opposition yeah, to your son. Yeah, exact opposition so, to yeah. my son. Yes, yeah. so I think it's at three. Yeah. Pretty sure. I'm pretty not, sure. Not positive. That's what but, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, so you would then have it in opposition of your son within a degree, so it does apply. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. I have. wonder, though, um, I, I get the impression anyway that Bernadette Brady, who's you know really knowledgeable about these things, gives more weight to the parents' relationships than the aspects. Hmm, interesting. But I don't. 
I just get the impression from reading her that she she talks more about those. Although she does have another book that's about relationship with planets in particular. Mm. So fascinating. It is. So, it, but anyway, to bring it back to Aldebaran, that idea of maintaining your principles in business transactions can be important. And, you know, looking at actually looking at those, you can think of in general, it's probably a good idea if you're a Taurus to maintain integrity in your in your business dealings and not be, you know, all I have, I have, I have. Just like in Pisces, you know, to maintain the purity of your ideals, you know, for Fomalhaut and for Leo, you know, to not use your kingly power for revenge purposes in general is probably a good idea. Right. Um, and Antares, not to get, you know, that scorpionic obsession mm-hmm. and desire for that craving for intensity of experience. And yeah, it's know. like, it sounds like all the nemeses are like, don't abuse your gift. Yeah. You know, because this exactly. is something that comes naturally to you, so you'll have more opportunities to exploit it. Yeah. 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 It's a fascinating subject, Fixed Stars. And, you know, and this is our last chance to hit it, really. So yeah, I'm glad you did it. As far as stars go, the uh, other thing that we, we have here, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about them in the seven episode, but they're appropriate here, too. We have those two star clusters. We mentioned uh, the Pleiades and the... Uh, Hyades or Hyades, however you mm-hmm. want to pronounce that. And what's really interesting about those is they're both associated with reaping and sowing and planting and, and you know, agricultural motifs. So with the Pleiades, the, you know, when it rose in the east at dawn was the time of planting. And when it sets in the west at dawn was the time of sowing or something like that. I, I might be getting them mm-hmm. reversed. Mm-hmm. Um and then the the Hyades, they were associated with bad harvest. So, um, oh, really? They're more appropriate to probably the seven of discs. And we'll talk about that then. But they were inauspicious for planting. They were associated with rains, which you'd think would be a good thing, but I think it was like too much of a good thing, like the rainy season wiping out your crop and rotting your seed or or whatever. The other thing about Aldebaran is, isn't it like, um, I think it's processed to Gemini now, actually. Is it? That's... I think so. But in, you know, 5th century BC, when yeah. all of this stuff was being established, it was right where. I'm not sure if it has. Actually. It was at one time. I think Aldebaran used to be yeah. 15 Taurus. Hold on. I'm going to pause it and let's look. That. Yeah. So um, did they say nine Gemini now? I think so. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so yeah, Aldebaran has processed, but it was at one time right in the in heart Taurus. of Taurus. Yeah. Yep. So Deccan imagery, <laughs> a man with a body like a camel moon, right? Mm-hmm. Who has cow's hooves on his fingers and he is covered by a linen cloth. He desires to work the land, uh, sow and build. How do they know? <laughs> Hoops on his fingers, man. How does that work? Yeah, that's These sounds like a fungal images. disease. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, at least they got the bovine imagery on there. Yeah, you camel know. and cow. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the signification being nobility, power, rewarding the people, which with does sound like your fixed with star a, with a body like a camel. It's a good thing he's covered by a cloth. <laughs> I need some gloves, too, on those cowboy fingers. And then from Agrippa, we have a naked man holding in his hand a key. Or is it a key? (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah. More power, nobility, dominion over the people. It's so. interesting they both mentioned the people because the yeah. moon is often associated with the concept of the people. Yeah. And isn't the moon in geomancy populist yes. India? Yeah. Yep. 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 But I mean, like, say you have the moon in your chart really prominent, it's usually a connection with the public yeah. in some way. Yeah, that's true. The uh, glamorous face of the moon. Yeah. Right. There's no way that the Picatrix image of the camel has anything to do with the Kabbalistic path established by the Golden Dawn in 1909, but it's still pretty interesting. It's, it's still, yeah, it's still a match. <laughs> it's still in there. And the key, you know. Yeah. Taurus, the Hierophant's keys. For sure. So there's definitely something about it. You know, maybe the subsequent images are picking up on the same thing in mm. some way. But I really like these significations of nobility and power that really seem to pick up on the Aldebaran influences. But in general, we deal with kingship metaphors and sixes anyway, because this is Tiferet mm -hmm. in Asiya. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's something particularly uh, significant about this six, I think, because, you know, it uh, correlates to the third day of creation when the land was formed out of the water. So it's particularly earthy, agricultural, Torian. Mm -hmm. The land is a place of home. But another thing that's interesting about Teferet is that it's associated with the patriarch Jacob, who is later named Israel, as in the 12 tribes of Israel, the progenitor of those 12 tribes. Again, it's Tiferet as the male source of life. And I think we've also talked at one point about Tiferet as the micro, mm -hmm. sorry, the macro, the, the lesser countenance, micro prosopis, lesser countenance, as opposed to the, the greater countenance of Keter. Exactly. So, you know, Tiferet is kind of a shorthand for the six Sephirot, lower Sephirot around uh, yeah, it, you right. know, so, uh, which are known as the, uh, the Zer Anpin, I think they're called, something like that. Anyway, Tiferet is the sort of shorthand for saying, this is the ruler of all six, you know, this little world that looks up at Keter yeah. as its father. Yeah. The great countenance is Keter. And Tiferet is also something that we consider to be a perfect channel for the influences from above to reflect and to rule over the influences below. So that is, that's why we always see imagery about as above, so below in the hexagram figures associated with the six. Other sixes, of course, are equally nice. Sixes are all good. <laughs> Sexy sixes. Yeah. Uh, six of wands, victory. Six of cups, pleasure. Six of swords, science. Six of discical success. So um, victory, pleasure, science, success. There's not really much else in life that one could ask for. <laughs> yeah. So maybe since we're already... In Teferet realm, mm -hmm. uh, we mm -hmm. can mention the other things about the symbols of the six or yeah. Teferet. Yeah, um, that's good. So some of the symbols are the Calvary cross, the rose cross, the truncated pyramid, and the cube. So the Calvary cross and, oh, that's the, uh, you know, the standard, the standard, standard cross. cross. Mm -hmm. um, then the you know the rose cross we're all familiar with from the mm -hmm. card backs of the Thoth. The truncated pyramid is really interesting because, like you said, where Teferet are those six lower sephira, the idea of the top of the pyramid, so it's those six and not the supernals. Yes. Not yes. the capstone. The pyramid without the capstone, without the separate from right. the supernal triad. 
And the cube, obviously, because it has six sides. You know, what's also really interesting is if you look at the other symbol, the hexagram with the, you know, the upright triangle and the lower triangle, and you can put those plant just like we're going to see in the Thoth card, and then you put the planets mm-hmm. around it just as they are on the Tree of Life, but then the top one gets assigned to Saturn. Yes. So even though... You know, Saturn's over here. Saturn's like a stand-in for that capstone of the pyramid. It's there in the center, yes. like for the whole. Yeah, whenever you see the seven traditional planets represented in hexagram form, then the sun goes in the center, and Saturn, its enemy, <laughs> goes on the top. <laughs> yep. The other thing, the uh, the magical vision of Tefera is the vision of the harmony of things. Hmm. And I like that because it makes me think of like the relationship of the planets and the sun, like that music of the spheres yeah. type perfect relationship as they, you know, orbit around the sun. And the virtue is the devotion to the great work. So again, yeah. that reconciliation of opposites um, versus the vice of pride being yeah. that sort of Leonin solar yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the king. I'm the sun. Yes. It all revolves around me. <laughs> me, 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 me. I think it's Crowley who says that the sixes, you know, represent their uh, respective elements at their practical best. So the, that virtue and vice kind of reflects that, the idea that the virtues of the sun need to be applied. Mm-hmm. It has to be in the real world for it to be of use. Otherwise, it just becomes self-referential. The archangel associated with Tiberit is Raphael. The healer, Mm -hmm. um, which makes kind of sense. Apollo, you know, has the healing arts associated with him as well. And it, it is almost a kind of, you know, he, you can think of medicine and healing as an act of reconciliation of off balance elements in the body. Mm. So that's, yeah, definitely kind of way to do it. The, uh, (laughs) archdemon associated with Tiferet is this guy called Bell. Fegon, Belfegon, I'm not sure. I can't even tell what I wrote, never mind how to pronounce it. But his uh, problem was that he, he tended to spur people onto discoveries and innovations that might have been dangerous or badly applied in some way, pushing people beyond their sensible limits, which, of course, the, the sixes are all about proper regulation, doing things yeah. in the right amount. Right. Know. Balance and harmony. Balance and harmony. Beauty and sacrifice. You know, gods Yeah, there is um, the other actual vision of Tefera is the vision of the mysteries of the crucifixion. So mm-hmm. then again, there's the, uh, you know, the slain and sacrificed gods thing. Yeah. Yeah. And there is that association in Teferet with the best thing being sacrificed, right? The best and the most beautiful, whether it's the Christ figure or Baldur or, mm-hmm. you know, in sacrificial rites where you have to get the perfect animal right. or alas, the, the perfect human. calf yes. or whatever. <laughs> the virgin or whatever it is. Yeah. There always has to be something at it in its, in its perfection and prime that must be sacrificed. I don't have anything on the playing card meanings, but Atea, interestingly enough, talks about this card representing the present moment. So like actuality, um, immediacy. Yeah, I read something interesting about that. And um, apparently, was it Mathers mistranslated the present as meaning a gift? (laughs) Yes. Right? Yeah, Waite says presents, gifts, gratification. Yeah, and and then Waite, who I guess gave a lot of 
credence more credence to Mathers than he admitted used the same error. And that's why in his card you see this like alms giving, this gift giving and, and, that's and so stuff. Funny. So that error was just perpetuated. And that yeah. that's also really interesting. It, well, first of all, it made me think of that old chestnut that saying, uh, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, mystery, but today's a gift. That's why they call it the present. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, in Austin Coppock's book, he mentioned that in 36 airs, the hore or yes. the hours were the present moment. Yeah, were related to so that so that is and the idea of time and hours and it also makes me think of this idea of the planetary uh, revolutions. You know, that, and cy- yes. cycles of time and 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 hours. And this card has a I think has something to do with being at the right place at the right time, doing things and, in their correct and, season and enjoying yeah. the present moment. Absolutely. I think there's a mindfulness message in here. Yeah. About, you know, something the, like that. The eternal present. Yeah. About the rightness of the time and the ripeness of the yeah. time, you yep. know, for the thing that you need to do. But that's hilarious. So you're telling me that like this whole Wade Smith image is based on a misapprehension. Yeah. A mistranslation of the word, <laughs> the present in, you know, mm-hmm. as a gift rather than as t- a time signification. Yeah. Although, you know, you can sort of see that in there too. I don't know. Whenever I see scales, I think adjustment and I think time and Saturn and, mm. you know, things like yeah. that as well. Yeah. But, but it's still appropriate. It is. The idea of sharing the bounty is appropriate. Even mm-hmm. if it was unintentional, there's a truth to that. There is a truth to it. I mean, there has to be a purpose to the wealth. And yep. so what better purpose than to give? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's a philanthropic card, which makes a lot of sense, especially when we're talking about the world of Asiya, the world of pentacles, where you've got nothing to deal with but things. Yeah. You know? And it kind of makes sense as a remedy for the errors of the five. You know? Oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. In reversal, Atea thought it meant desire, wish, ardor, zeal, passion, pursuit, cupidity, longing, and jealousy, rather than giving, you know, longing to take. Yeah. I guess yep. was the idea there. Uh, shall we? Card by card? Yeah, it? Should, we should do that. Okay, so Waitsmith, I'm just going to go grab the card so I can see it better. Wait says, a person in the guise of a merchant. I, What's up I with that? I also put guise in quotes and meant to bring that up. Like, what's the deal with the guise? Is, is that he just, pretending? Is that, yeah, is that just a, a phrase or did he mean something by yeah, that? Yeah, he <laughs> might have just meant, you know, attired as. Yeah. Or he could mean he's in disguise as. Yeah. So, in the guise of a merchant. I thought that was odd, too, an odd turn of well, phrase. Well, you know what's also interesting about it is that it's a stage card. So it's like he's playing oh, the role a of a merchant. Yes. You know? Yes. He's really a person like you and me. <laughs> but I'm you not know. a merchant. I just play one on TV. <laughs> well, I think that there's something to that. I mean, the idea that when you're in a six where you have to do whatever the energy of the suit is, you're trying to devote it to a purpose, you know, that that is sort of a something that you take on. It's something a role that you perform. I don't know, there's something about that that kind of makes sense to me. But you know what I just realized, I didn't even think of this when I was looking at this card before. But imagine, imagine he's on the tree of life, like in the tree of life. And on the on his 
left hand, if you imagine him like with his back to us, in his left hand, he's got this, the, the restraint side, the pillar mm-hmm. of the severity, mm-hmm. right? And with the other, he's giving like chesed. Mm-hmm. So you've got this like the, the one hand is chesed giving and the other hand is weighing it at Givora to make sure it's the right amount. Either because he wants to make sure he doesn't give too much or he wants to make sure there's enough for everybody. We don't know. What do you think of the fact that they're not symmetrically distributed? The um the pentacles. Discs. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I was thinking about that too. And you know, you could write it off as just that's where the room in the design was for them, but I was thinking about it in terms of there's a one, two, and three. One is at Keter, two is at the uh, side of Hesed, and three is at Binah's side. So it's like a supernal oh, reference. That is kind of cool. That's and then there's the fact. Now, what do you make of it that it looks like he's giving him four coins? Yeah, and I was thinking that that's like okay. In the five, we saw the inadequacy of matter to shelter these people, and he's trying to, you know, repair them to bring them up to par in the material world with these mm-hmm. four elements. And it could also be the Hesed giving thing. Oh, yes. Yes, the yes, four. yes. The giving hand yes. of the four. Yep. Yes, absolutely. Not to mention that, you know, the scale hand uh, on that he's holding, you know, the Givora side, the justice card it does go from Givora to Tiferet, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So yep. It's kind of interesting that he's yeah. got that there. Also, I guess the scales of Libra, just in the it ties, you know, they're both signs, Libra and Taurus are both ruled by Venus. Yes, that's true. Hmm. I was looking at his, the way he's holding his hand gesture and trying to remember whether... Yeah, with the two fingers down uh, thing of the... Um, yeah, the as yep. above, so below. Yep. And we go nuts of with the, this The this devil gesture. and the hierophant. Yeah. And the uh-huh. ten of swords. Yep. Um, well, though, it's a little different because he's holding his pinky. And every single time I look at these guys, they look different to me. Mm. <laughs> you know, and each of those gestures has two fingers up and arguably two fingers down. This is not only the gesture of as above, as below, the gesture of the hierophant, which you know, makes sense to see in this context. But it's also, there's the revealed part and the hidden part, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And that's yep. our combination of the high priestess and the hierophant. Or the giving and the taking. Yeah. 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 The open finger and the closed fingers. Mm-hmm. The divine and the mortal as well. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that reminds me. <laughs> I was going, I remember I was in the car with my dad, like, I don't know, 15 years ago, and we were looking at the moon, and it was, it was uh, (laughs) just past full, and he wanted to know what phase that was. And I said, well, the other phase is the giveth moon. And he's like, oh, is it the taketh away moon? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Anyway, so um, the other thing that's really interesting, this card that we talked a little about last time is maybe... Maybe these folks are the mendicants from mm. the previous card. They are, you know, equally in patched and torn clothing. Uh, there's sort of a uh, similarity. There's some some connection in yeah, the colors. Yeah, it's not the same clothes. Not but... the same, but, you know, there's one in blue and one in sort of a warm Yellow. color. Yellowy brown mm. color. You know, but the, but the more important thing is that they're clearly indigent, like the ones in the five. And in this case, they're getting the help 
that they need, or at least some kind of help. You could also look at yellow being a solar color and blue being a lunar color, because there's yeah. a lot of solar lunar just in the, the six itself, you know, the union of male and female. Oh, and another thing about that hand of chesed with the four coins dropping out of it, what is between uh, chesed and netzach? We have the wheel of fortune with mm. the outstretched palm and yep. look at the hands yep. going to receive it. Yep. So that could really be an esoteric reference to that, uh, deliberate or non. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about his his garb. <laughs> Other than, you know, I mean, he's got sort quite of... Quite the hat. It's quite the hat. And uh, he's got sort of a mix of blue and red going on, which to me is... Kind Supernals. of has a Gevura kind of oh, yeah. thing, maybe, yep. you know? Yeah. Could be either way, depending on which scale you're in. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Could be Supernals or Hesed Gevura. Neat. Yeah. And that's interesting to think about because, you know, Chesed, Gevura, four and five, it's sort of like you have this opposite and this opposite, and the Tiferet is the way of negotiating and balancing between them. Yeah, and they all connect yeah. in Tiferet, yes. With- mm-hmm. Also, we have we have a little town in the background, as well as a little bit of country, a little bit of both. What's kind of interesting to me is that, you know, remember we saw the last stage card we saw was the four, where he was on sort of in the stage in yeah, front. Yeah, with the city. With the city far behind him. In the five, we've seen, you know, close up this building. Here we have the city, but we also have a little bit of a natural landscape. And then in the seven, we're going to be completely into the natural landscape. Mm. So there's a move away from the things that we've been building up all through two through six, heading into the natural world instead, agricultural themes. Sort of interesting to notice about the five, six, and seven in Rider Waite Smith is the weather, you know. So we have the cold, snowy weather in the five, which is like you might still get at the very beginning of spring, probably in April, yes, in May, no, around here. Yeah. But then you have a lot of this sort of gray sky, rainy kind of spring, everything's waiting to explode kind of thing going on uh, in the other ones, at least. Uh, in where we live. And also, I imagine in England, it's probably more of the same sort of rainy, gray, overcast. You still got to get out there and plant weather. <laughs> Planting and then you've actually got some fruit going on in the next Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Mm. Seeds and fruit. Seeds and fruit. Okay. Maybe those little, maybe he's not handing him coins, he's handing him seeds. <laughs> maybe they're like raisins or grapes <laughs> or <laughs> chickpeas. Magic beans. <laughs> Here, sell my cow for a handful of magic beans. <laughs> oh, and you know, the other thing about the red and blue combination, look at the high priestess and the hierophant in oh, yeah. right away. Oh, yeah, red yeah, and blue, so there you have it. There we have it. And the fact that the the two people kind of reflect the acolytes in yeah, the hierophant yep. in position. Yep. You know, so it's sort of like we talked about salvation by faith versus by works. You know, this is the works. This is, you know, you you redeem yourself by uh, taking the, applying the teachings of the church. And maybe actually, uh, you know, the scale, I don't know, it kind of reminds me of tithing. You know, the fact yeah, that you I was actually just thinking that. 10%, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> it's looking at those suspenders on the acolytes and the hierophant. They remind me of like, have you ever seen those suspenders that folks have that have look like measuring tape? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right. So, uh, thoughts. 
It's a beautiful card. Oh, it's such a relief, isn't it? After yeah. the fire. It's so beautiful. What is uh Lon said something about how the sun is and in Lon Milo Duquette says the sun is an interpretation of the father in terms of the mind. I think what we're getting at here is sort of a connection to Yetzira, that triad. Maybe what we're doing is we're figuring out like how to you know, using the mind to interpret the spirit of Keter for the lower world. He was thinking of it as a microprosopus, macroprosopus type. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, I can see that. If you look at the card, it's definitely, there's the sun implied in the center of the the six planets arrayed Mm -hmm. around it in that tree of life pattern we talked about with Saturn as the like stand-in at dot for the Mm -hmm. supernals in general. Um, But the sun symbol itself you know, it's a circle with a dot in yeah. the middle of it. That's also a symbol for gold, alchemically, mm-hmm. which is appropriate for this card with its kind of like giving and wealth. And uh, but also, it's a symbol for fertilization. You know, that's right. Yeah, the fertilized ovum. Oh, and also, you know, what's interesting is that in all of the versions of the six of pentacles or discs, we have that balance of warm and cold colors. Solar lunar. Yeah, yeah, specifically because of the presence of the high priestess and the hierophant as um, matriarchal, patriarchal, solar lunar yep. influences. That sun symbol also is kind of like a Nui Hadi reference, you know, Hadi mm-hmm. in the center of the circle of the of Nui's yes. ever-expanding goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and then, right. you know, also if you look at, the center of the card, so the dot in the center of literal circle on this card, you have the rose cross. So there's a couple of things we could say about that. So the the cross itself is red and the rose is blue. So again, we have that yes. red-blue mm-hmm. solar lunar um, symbolism. The shape of this card with the planets arranged in that hexagram just like we were talking about before like we were talking about actually comes from the rose cross diagram where you know how there's the four arms of the cross and each one's elemental but then there's that one that's like right under the center that's white that one has has this on it basically from this card it basically has a hexagram with the planets arranged as yeah around the six points it's on the white square and it's got the, the planets but it's basically this symbol in a sense and the planets that the positions that they're on are reflective of the tree of life, except for, of course, Saturn is at the top rather mm-hmm. than off to the side in the number three, because we don't have right that. And then there's the sexual symbolism of the rose cross mm. where the, you know, the the mystic rose and the holy rood, <laughs> um, you know, so that we've got that more of that male-female union thing going on here. What about the seven times seven in the rosy cross? Or yeah, rose? you know, we've talked about that before, and I'm never... We're never quite sure uh, the 49 other than a Venusian, the tree of life itself being a Venusian symbol. And um, Taurus. And they made sure to include those four leaves, which on the rose cross have the I-N-R-I, the Inri, which I don't remember if we've talked about this before in another episode. The Inri can have several different meanings. One of the things can be the, the Latin for Jesus of Nazareth, king of the jews mm-hmm. the the initials for that are enri but then i find it really interesting the the other phrase igni natura 
Renovator Integra, all of nature is renewed by fire. Oh, nice. In terms yeah. of this card, because yeah. of the solar influence and the, the, you know, the warming of the earth, the fecundity of the earth, the growth. The renewal and, and, of the agricultural. Yeah, year. exactly. Mm-hmm. The Inri can also be the yod he vav whereas Yod is I. Yod, nun, resh, yod. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yod, yes, gotcha. yod, nun, resh, yod. And that formula that's in the greater ritual of the hexagram, which we have here on this card, that formula is also referred to as the Iao formula, which is talking about Isis and Osiris again, the bull and the cow, mm-hmm. and uh, the, the story of Isis losing her husband, him being killed, and then being rising again. Yeah, so um, Isis, Apophis, Osiris, Apophis being the destructive phase and the, you know, Osiris rising again. So the Inri formula has to do with the mourning of Isis as the first phase, and then, you know, Apophis and Typhon and uh, the destructive phase, and then the the rising again of Osiris. Osiris, um, And that whole formula has a lot to do with, you know, in the greater ritual of the hexagram and this story of the earth revolving around the sun rather than the sun revolving around the earth Mm. and the earth simultaneously revolving on its own axis. And that was like the greatest mystery of the agricultural period. Right. You know? <laughs> right. The turning of the seasons due to yeah, the planet's Yeah, motion. that was like their their mm-hmm. highest mystery knowledge was the understanding of that relationship between the sun and the earth. Yeah, which if you can think about what it must have been like to conceptualize from the ground without the aid of hardly, yeah. you know, before the age of industry, that must have been a real mystery. Yeah. So all that's in this card, I think. Definitely mm-hmm. when I look at it, I see the greater ritual of the hexagram, yeah. which is kind of like the vision of the harmony of all things, in a sense. The, the motions of the planets and, and their music of the spheres, I guess. For a moment. I think because For it's a moment. the moon. Yeah. It's the moon, so. Yeah, that's the other thing. I think, you know, Crowley says, while increasing the approach to perfection marks that the condition is transient. Yeah, he definitely, you know, his Buddhist training always comes through because he always makes sure in these good cards to to note that success is temporary, that pleasure is temporary, that you can't cling to it. And that's like, yeah. that's the constant of Buddhist teaching is this goes back to like mm-hmm. being the now, uh, enjoy the present that, you know, that idea of the present, that the pre- present moment is to be enjoyed, but it's the present and it's not going to continue forever. It's going to move on to something else. <laughs> if you can think of the six as the perfect moment, the five and the seven, seven are almost like, you know, the vices that take away from the perfect moment, the the worry that it will not happen and the loss of it in the yeah. seven, you know, yep. those are states of mind. The things that, beyond your control that take yeah. it away and the worrying that you won't get it. Yeah. Right, right. So it's almost a little object lesson in the five, six, and seven about, you know, what you, about focusing on the good of the moment, even knowing that it'll change. Uh, he says something about to ferret fully realized on earth. It reaffirms in form what was mat- mathematically set forth in describing the ace. So 
Was there something in the ace? Of there the was a hell math? of a lot of math in the math ace. If you remember all those yes. numbers that were in it, there was a yeah. There were a lot of numerological references in the ace, and but it's almost like he's saying, okay, the ace gives you the formula, you know. And this well, that is- makes sense because the aces and the sixes are connected on the middle pillar, and you know that the, the mm-hmm. six is like the the best possible point of the progression of the suit, yeah. You know, and so yeah. the potential of the ace is realized in the six. The best, yeah, the best, the best part of it, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Plus, the you know, it's interesting that the path between them is represented by the high priestess, and here she is, you know. And also actually... in uh, Crowley's Ace, he had the six, 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 and here That's we are right. in the six. And here we are in the six. <laughs> yeah, the center of that card, you know, has these interplays of five and six and seven mm-hmm. inside there, and then I guess the the rosy cross at the center of this is. What he's saying is that this is the fully expressed version of that. Yep. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So we had geometric forms here, and here we have an organic blossoming forth of the thing itself. And also when he talked about the ace of discs, he talked about them as revolving and and whirling forces rather than static. And that calls to mind planets and their revolutions yeah. and here we have them one thing he did say something and he said something like the card is settling down heavy and lacking in imagination <laughs> yet dreamy you know it's like dragged by down by the weight of earth but the exaltation of the moon kind of saves it it seems kind of like an oxymoron to be lacking in imagination yet dreamy very but then he then he right. talks again about how all success is uh, is temporary and in general throughout the suit you know he has a real tendency to emphasize the weight of the pentacles of the earth suit as something that has to be withstood or acted against yeah inertia yeah, yeah. how brief a halt upon the path of labor he says yes <laughs> <laughs> indeed yeah well you know, you have a trust fund, man. <laughs> so what do you know about labor? <laughs> okay, uh, shall we move on to Tabula Mundi? Sure. Well, let's see. He's made here. Yes, he's made here. <laughs> In case y'all don't know, that is the little motto that Mel has on her tarotcart.com site. I've always loved that. And the publishing company that I use for my books... I named it uh, Atu House, which means key house, or you could say it's your house key. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So anyway, so in the card, we do have the crossed keys directly uh, referring to the Hierophant, but also, you know, keys in general are associated both with the Hierophant and the priestess in their roles as, you know, keepers, keepers of the mysteries kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, keys as insignias of the mystical office. Yes. So what we see in this card is, again, lots and lots of natural pairings, just like the Pope and the Popus or the High Priestess and High Priest or Hierophant are natural pairs. So we have the, the sun and the moon. We have the sun and the earth. We have earth and heaven. We have the um, fire and water symbolism. We have the upward and downward triangles. We have the the keys, the silver of silver, silver and, and gold. gold. So yeah. again, we got solar and lunar and male female coming together to create something. We've got the uh, lyre from the priestess card, you know, with six strings. Again, the the six and that idea of music, because 
not only just the music of the spheres, but enjoying the present moment and that appreciation of life. Music is mm -hmm. part of that, I think. And we've got the six pomegranates in this fertile valley, as I like to call it, <laughs> which is kind of very sexual looking. Very. If you ask me. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but you get to. You're the artist. <laughs> it's there, you know, whether intentional or not, right. I, I can see it. Yeah. And I think, you know, the pomegranate myth is so interesting because, you know, that ties us into the priestess's role as an underworld uh, mediary. And, you know, the hierophant we think of as being oriented upward and she's oriented downward in that sense. So yeah. there's like, you know, we're not just talking about heaven and earth. We're talking about under and here and above. You yeah. Know, three realms also yep. tied in into this card. Yeah. We have the, you know, the sky realm above and then we have down these discs. The sonic realm. Down, yeah. yeah. Deep into the earth. And then we've got them stacked in the three, two, one formation. Mm -hmm. So again, that can be supernal related and heaven, but it can also be the feminine triangle or the water triangle yeah. in that shape. Yeah. And I think there's also, you know, that metaphor of the fruit and the seed going on as well. Yeah. The is... seeds of the, the pomegranate, I think in my book, I say something about the seeds and the root of the word kernel, you know, mm -hmm. meaning to grow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So again, there's that, you know, agricultural metaphor and this, the sweetness of the seeds, the mythology of the pomegranate. Um, pregnant women were encouraged to eat them to conceive beautiful children. Ah, yeah. The so again, then it is that associated procreation, with that. fertility, beauty. beauty. Yeah. yeah. And then kernel to grow, uh, that word care was associated with ker k-e-r was root associated with series the yeah. goddess of grains and growth and so yeah that's pretty much what we have going on here um the color of the card is gold amber and you see that in the solar light uh, the mm -hmm. corona around mm -hmm. the sun the other colors are all the colors of taurus which i think we forgot to mention last time but the colors of taurus are well we mentioned the red orange mm -hmm. um the deep indigo the deep warm olive and rich browns right um and then the colors of the moon all the blues and pale blue and silvers and I think mm -hmm. it's blue, silver, cold pale blue and um, raid blue raid silver yeah uh with the the moon in front of the sun like that are we talking about an eclipse could be could be it's, there. it's the idea of their connection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess, yeah. It if, could be or a new moon sort of manifestation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely could be a new moon. I also think that, you know, in some ways the pomegranates are a perfect middle pillar fruit because they have the little crown at the top. Yeah. Right? Yep. And then they have, you know, they are like a heart. Yep. And they are juicy like the moon. Yep. And segmented, you know, like Malkut. I don't know. There's something about it that makes me feel. I think they have six segments too. Oh. Oh, if you interesting, I never yeah, thought about it that pretty way. Pretty sure. Hmm. Cool. It's a, they do here. You do. They do here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. There's something very, very mystical about pomegranates. I like pomegranates. They're yeah, messy, me but too. I like them. They're the best. I wonder. I would love to know what's the average number of seeds in a pomegranate. It's a good question. I think the reason that one reason where they encourage pregnant pregnant women to eat them for children. Pomegranate seeds are one of the only plant, not the only, but one of the few plant sources of estrogen. 
Really? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Yep. Hmm. One of the richest plant sources of estrogen, phytoestrogen, which is, the, which is like the, soy. Yeah, which yeah. is the the female hormone. So that's fascinating. Associated with fertility. So there's probably something to that eating of pomegranate seeds yeah. to maintain fertility. That's really interesting. Because lack of fertility is a drop of estrogen. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Curious to think about, you know, again with the Persephone myth and her eating the pomegranate which forces her to stay below, but also forces her mom to come back and get her and then return and begin the cycle of fertility again. Yeah, there's that chthonic thing too about the underworld and the pomegranate. And Okay, anything else? Mm, I think we just about covered it. Okay, is it something that you get often? Yeah, I get this one pretty often. I'd like to get it more. Yeah, seriously, right? (laughs) I like getting this card. (laughs) Even if it is temporary, I'll take it. Right. What's it usually signify for you? Usually it's enjoyment of good things and uh, happy times. Yeah. I'm sure you're going to use your spreadsheet to tell us all sorts of (laughs) specific mundane things that happened on that day that you got this card. Well, I got got it for eclipses a couple times, which I thought was right on with the mood. Yep, yep. Um, and I get it like a reasonable number of times. It's not massive like the five. <laughs> it has to do with commerce for me and mm, jobs. I could see that. Yeah. So when the day, for example, that uh, at Smith College, they let me understand that I could be hired into the writing department, I got this card. And it's typical for me to like w- an expansion of opportunities opening yep. up or like, okay, now you have a purpose. <laughs> kind that of makes thing. sense because the five is often associated with job loss. So this Mm. one is then job gain. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So, you know, that's kind of what I tend to look for with this card. I'm always pleased when it comes through that way. And it's also, you know, very lunar for me. But I don't have like a huge, overwhelming sort of sense of it manifesting clearly the way I do for other cards. It's like nice, pleasant, sometimes good things happen. Not always. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to catch them while you can. In in Rosetta, in, in this card, I have, I really like the six in that deck. It's just pretty. It has honeycomb in the background. Oh, yeah. So those six-sided cells. And then it's got a queen bee in the center on a crystal with, with worker six worker bees yeah. surrounding her. And you know, again, it's that enjoyment of the sweetness of the moment. <laughs> yeah, the honeymoon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, you know what oh, else? What? One more thing, though. About the pomegranate? Yeah. So the pomegranate, the the word pomegranate means seeded apple. Yeah. And there's some mm-hmm. theory that that's the apple of Eden rather than an actual apple, that the apple of Eden no was kidding. a pomegranate. I could see that. And I think it's really cool to think of it that way in relation to this card, especially because in the next card, so this is like Eden, yeah. And the next card is the fall. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. I mean, and, and especially in the sense that all sixes are a little bit tied to the lover's card, which is an Eden story, yeah. too. Yep. Oh, look at this. I'm looking in the symbol dictionary. The the Hierophants, the priests of Demeter at Eleusis, were crowned with pomegranate branches during the Great Mysteries. Perfect. Nice. In Persian love poetry, the pomegranate evokes the breast. <laughs> of course it does. Let me squeeze your pomegranate. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, also an attribute of Hera and Aphrodite. And in Rome, the headdress of married women was fashioned from pomegranate twigs. 
Also, in Asia, the image of a pomegranate split open conveys good wishes when it does not specifically denote the vulva. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love the symbol dictionary. I don't know if it's less funny in French, which it's translated from, but it cracks me up. Okay. All right. So I guess we should try. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So, six of pentacles or discs, this has been the lord of success or material success. Uh, we spoke a lot about um, the the bridge between the worlds here in Taurus, where we left behind the built world of Capricorn. Uh, we look ahead to the legacies of Virgo. But here we are in this moment of perfect harmony between worry and failure. <laughs> we talked a lot about the moon's role, its exaltation in the sign, if not the degree, the degree of comfort and luck and resilience it confers in this decan of Taurus. Yeah, and we talked about Taurus as being stability, where the moon is more flexibility in that idea of the dynamic stability of moon and Taurus in combination, and as well as the idea of body and soul as Taurus, the body and moon, the soul. Yeah, all kinds of pairings of opposites in this, in this card, Mm -hmm. Um, as well as sun and moon, silver and gold, fire and water, for sure, red and blue. Chesed and Givora. We talked about the uh, Royal Watcher of the East, Aldebaran, and its association with Mithras, the Lord of Contracts, and um, the Slayer of the Cosmic Bull. <laughs> the Slayer of the Cosmic Bull, and how, as a royal star, it con- confers glory as long as the native adheres to the utmost integrity in business dealings. And we talked about the name Aldebaran, meaning the follower, as it follows the star clusters Pleiades and Hyades. Um, as they move around, as well as the idea of following the plow of the front end of the bull. (laughs) And we also talked a bit about the back end on... (laughs) And fertilization of the earth. That's right. That's right. The potency of the bull. We talked about the hore a little bit, the hours, um, and the idea of the the ripe moment or the right moment uh, to enjoy that while it lasts. We talked about the mistranslation of the French <laughs> word for the present, as in now, as opposed to the present as the gift. <laughs> Beltane as as the cross quarter holiday falling in the sex decan. <laughs> uh, the mysteries of placating the fairy. So that sort of uh, other realm. Contact, uh, fires lit by friction. <laughs> uh, the Beltane Bannock and the May Bush or the May Tree, which we um, decorate uh, we festively. Talked about decorating the pole. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the pole that wins first prize. blue ribbon. Uh, and the protection of the herd. Um, all the bovine metaphors associated mm. with this card, as well as the Isis and Osiris, uh, High Priestess and Hierophant, um, Mysteries of the Exoteric and the Esoteric, Mm. the Hidden and the Received or Outer Mysteries. Yeah, we talked about Earth and Heaven, Sun and Moon, Sun and Earth, Fire and Water, (laughs) Natural Pairs, Pope and (laughs) Popus, Gold and Silver, 
We talked about the six sephirot on the tree of life in a hexagram formation. Forming the microprosopus. Mm-hmm. Or lesser countenance. Mm-hmm. We talked about the devotion to the great work um, versus pride, the virtue and vice of Tiferet. We talked about all of nature being restored by fire, sort of like how this card is a remedy for the lack of fire in the five. We talked about Archangel Raphael the healer and uh, the archdemon who pushed uh, Belphegon or Belphegon, who pushed humans to, uh, to push into dangerous innovations. We talked about the greater ritual of the hexagram and the vision of harmony of things and the music of the spheres. We talked about the naked man holding in his hand a key. (laughs) A key, air quotes. (laughs) We talked about Mitch Hedberg and his buddy in the diner transforming himself into a cow. (laughs) Oh, man. We talked about the rosy cross. Seven by seven, and it's uh, the organic expression of the mathematical formulae expressed in the eighth. We talked about the mystic rose and the holy rood. (laughs) Uh, We talked about the the guise of the merchant and the mendicants who are now receiving uh, the help that they need. Because now is the accepted time. We talked about the giving hand and the restraining hand uh, of Hesed and Gevora. We talked about the pomegranate as the apple of Eden. Yes. And, and all as the-, the precursor for the estrogen hormone. Right. We didn't talk about the Niter Prince of Discs at all, but it's just worth yeah, mentioning. Boring. Yeah, he is Mr. Boring, but he is the perfect expression of the steady effort yeah, you need to I shouldn't, get through I shouldn't this. say that. <laughs> it's okay. We don't have any in the room. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely the alchemical wedding card. Right. All right. Well, thank you for exploring the sexy Deccan with us. We hope that we have successfully brought the world of the six of discs or pentacles to you in this episode. And we will be back next time with the seven of discs or pentacles, the Lord of failure. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> See <Sad> you then. Trombone. <laughs>